This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. Greatly, but I want to dive into the word today. I'm excited about this word. I hope you are as well. I hope you're excited to receive from the Lord. This Bible is an active word. It's a sharp word. It's a comforting word. It could be a, a correcting word. It's a passionate word. And every time we open it, we should expect to receive something from it. So my prayer today is that you would receive something from this. I want to speak on the topic today when your spirit gets stirred. When your spirit gets stirred, would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this time. God, I can't do this without you. God, I can't do it without you. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would bless me today. That you would anoint my mouth to speak. And that when this word goes forth, it's not a word from Pastor Chris, but God, it's a word spoken from heaven. God, do with me what you did with Moses and be my mouth as I speak. God, I pray for our church that you'd open up their ears to hear, their minds to know, their eyes to see the truth of your word today. God, stir our spirit. Stir our spirit. It's in your name I pray. And everybody said, Amen and amen. We've spent the last two weeks on Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We're going to complete Haggai chapter 1 today, verses 12 through 15. So you can go ahead and go there. We're going to be spending the next two weeks after this on chapter 2 and complete the series on spiritual apathy. And, and, and I, I love from this part to the end of this book because it really truly shows the work that the Lord was able to do through the prophet Haggai. But to give kind of a brief synopsis of where we are so far, um, like I said, we've spent the last two weeks in Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and we've taught how the people originally had a zeal, had a passion for the things of God, how the Persian king, King Cyrus, allowed them back into their homeland with sole purpose of rebuilding the temple, and how the rebuild started, but then the Lord gave warning to them to give careful thought to their ways. Because they had built for themselves houses of luxury while leaving the house of God in ruin. God then withheld the blessing from them due to their sin and their selfish nature. God's work was being neglected. It said while each of you is busy with your own house. The people were content because they were working on their own house. And excuses were being offered for not doing the work of God. It even said these people say, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They were self-centered and worldly minded. And because of that, the consequence was that the relationship with God was marred and he withheld the blessing. So that's kind of where we are right now in Haggai chapter 1. And I want to complete the chapter today, starting with verse number 12. And this is what it said. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people, what, feared the presence of the Lord. 
The word there that we're going to be talking about is a fear, to have a heavenly fear. What does that mean? Were they scared? No, but there was something else there that I want to talk about. They feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message. I love it that it said the Lord's message. Haggai did not speak his message. He spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So what did he do? So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. The Lord Jesus once told a parable about a farm and and how the person goes out to sow seed in his field and and although he sowed out of the whole field there were places here and there where the soil equality um, differed and because of that some of the seed that he sowed the seed that fell on the hard ground the seed that fell into the rocky ground the seed that fell into the one that had some briars in it didn't produce any crops. However, the seed that fell into the good soil, the soil that had been well plowed and cleared of anything that would hinder its growth, only that seed produced a harvest. In explaining the parable, the Lord Jesus said that the seed was the word of God and the soil was the human heart. And the main point of the parable was that only in those hearts which have been properly prepared to receive the word Will there be a positive response that will bring fruit to what God wants? That's why it's so important in our time of worship. Because what worship does, worship isn't just a time that I can just jump up and down and run around and sweat and and all that stuff. What worship does is it prepares my heart to receive the word that God has for us. So when we come to him in a worship setting with a hardened heart, then my my soul cannot be prepared for the word that God's about to bring. You see, we have to make sure that our seed is being put into the good soil so that when the word of the Lord, the water that we need comes forth, that it can produce in us fruit. So as we look in this book, um, we found out that Haggai just a couple weeks ago was one of the few Old Testament prophets who had the joy of seeing his ministry actually bearing fruit in the lives of those to whom he ministered. The people had been into a state of spiritual apathy and for many years had become so self-centered and worldly-minded in their outlook that the work of God that was rebuilding the temple was being neglected. However, as a result of Haggai's preaching, And the powerful work of the Holy Spirit upon their hearts and minds, the people were giving serious thought to the message they heard and responded to the message in a way that God desired and created a spiritual awakening. What happened? Their spirit was stirred. They were in that place of apathy. They were in that place where they were more concerned about their own well-being than the well-being of the temple. God saw this, so he sent them a prophet who brought the message of God. And because he brought the message, it created a spiritual revival among the people. The first evidence today that I want to talk about that the spiritual awakening was taking place was that there was a change in the people's attitude towards God. And verse 12 tells us that. It says, and the people, what, feared the presence of the Lord. 
They feared the presence prior to Haggai's teaching. The, uh, the, the temple that was being neglected spoke volumes concerning the people's attitude towards God. The fact that for all those years they, they didn't want to be bothered by doing the work which had God had specifically called them there to do, this temple. It showed that they had little concern for the glory and, and little reverence in regard to his person. Had they loved God sincerely, I need you to un, 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 understand, had they held him in reverence, they would not have been so quick to abandon the work and, and put their time into their own affairs. But over the year, you see, even though they started out great, they laid the foundation, they did the things that they were supposed to do, but their attitude towards God was that of spiritual apathy. But then enter Haggai, enter the prophet of God, enter somebody who came in and spoke the truth but did so in love. Their attitude began to change, and they feared God. They feared God. They feared the Lord. That is, they were brought to the point where they once again saw God for who He was, the sovereign God, a holy God, a righteous God, a just God, an almighty God. The God to whom they were totally dependent and to whom they were subject and accountable to for their conduct. They became so impressed once again with a sense of God's greatness on one hand and their own nothingness on the other. They realized in that point that what I had been doing was wrong this whole time. And God, I am so sorry for making this about me. The song we just sang just a couple minutes ago said, I'm sorry for just singing another song. I'm sorry for just making this about me. I'm sorry for not truly giving reverence and credit to whom it is due, which is to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one God who sent his son to die on a cross so that you and I could be free from sin. They became impressed with his greatness. With the, with, they had a sense of God's holiness and their sinfulness. They had a sense of God's goodness and their ungratefulness. And as they thought about such things, their attitude towards God changed. The laid back, couldn't care less, disrespectful, irreverent attitude that they had developed was, was replaced by an attitude of reverence and respect and a healthy fear of God. One of the main reasons why they had been living the way that they were living, one of the main reasons why they had been in sin against God in pursuing their own desires was that they no longer feared God. If ever there was going to be a change in their conduct before God, there would first have to be a change in their attitude towards God. And as a result of Haggai's preaching, the people feared the Lord, Solomon tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom in the scriptures in general and in the book of Proverbs is very much related to moral and ethical personal conduct in the realm of daily life. In other words, what he's trying to say is that there is an inseparable connection between a person's view of and attitude towards God and the way which that person lives their life. Proper views of and a proper attitude towards God, the fear of the Lord, reverence for God are essential to and will produce godly living. 
You have you have you have Nehemiah who rebukes the rich and take because they're taking advantage of the, the poor. And what does he say to them? He says, "What you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God?" Later on in that chapter, he bears testimony to the fact that even though through previous governors had placed a heavy tax burden on the people and lorded it over them, having been appointed to that position now, he didn't act like that. Why? Because he feared the Lord. This is what he said. The early governors, those who preceded me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took all this silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But because I feared the Lord, I did not act like that. In other words, in our world today, if we as a nation truly feared the Lord and took into account what he has to say about how to treat people, then we as a nation would not behave the way that we're behaving right now. Is that okay this morning? You turn on the TV and all you see is hate, hate, hate. And we have been accustomed to believe that if you don't believe this way or if you don't believe that way, then we're to hate each other. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that regardless of what one others think, I'm supposed to love my neighbor just as myself. We have been so consumed about who's right and who's wrong that we have forgotten to be decent people. My God, help me this morning. It's time that the church be who God wanted the church to be from the beginning. <laughs> the Lord's been speaking to me a lot over the past couple weeks about this topic. I'm actually writing a sermon on it right now. I'm, as a matter of fact, writing a song about it too. About the sound of grace. You say, does grace have a sound? We sing about it, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What's this sound you're talking about? And I began to pray to, to God and say, what is this sound you're talking about? Let me hear the sound so I can better understand your grace. And the Spirit spoke to me and he said, Chris, we too often forget where I brought you from. That we bring a blind eye to people as they walk into the doors of our church. And, and we don't sit by them because they don't look the way that we do. We don't talk to them because they don't dress the way that we dress. And you have forgotten that just not too long ago you were in those same shoes. If you really understood my grace then this nation wouldn't treat people the way that they do. Do you really want to know the sound of my grace? Because if you really knew the sound this nation wouldn't be acting the way that they're acting. What is the sound of grace I ask? And the Lord spoke that the sound of grace is the chains breaking. The sound of grace is walls coming down. The sound of grace is bondages being broken. The sound of grace is addictions being broken. The sound of grace is the things that only God can do. That's the sound of grace. And we have forgotten to listen to his sound. We as a nation have forgotten to hear the sound of His grace. The sound, the sound, the sound. The sound is Paul being knocked off his horse and being blinded by the light and going from somebody that murdered Christians to somebody that wrote the majority of the New Testament. 
if you had a sound for my grace. The sound is hell's gates closing over your body. The sound is heaven's gates opening up wide and saying, welcome home. The sound of grace. We must have an ear for the sound. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 draws a direct connection between holy living and the fear of the Lord. And he says to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for the King James Version says in the fear of God. Romans chapter 3 describes something of an awfully sinfully depraved state into which the human race has gone. He gives a number of examples of the sort of sin that is common of mankind. He said their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They do not know the way of peace. And he both sums up and gives an explanation for their behavior with a statement taken from Psalms where it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. They were neither in awe of God's person nor afraid of his judgment. They acted as if there was no God to whom there's nobody to be accountable for. And let me tell you something, church, that is not the case. Because there will come a day when we meet him face to face and we will be held accountable for by our actions. We're going to see that the conduct of the people in Haggai's day with respect to the work of the Lord changed as a result of Haggai's preaching. But that change in their conduct, but it, 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 wasn't, it, it was an outworking change. It was God working in them. And when God worked in them, they were, they were, they were working outwardly differently. Their attitude changed. Everything about them changed. Let me tell you something. That's how God works. I was reading a scripture this morning. It's not in my notes. I was reading it just today after I woke up and I asked Daniel to put it up there. Can you go ahead and put it up there? It's in Psalm. I don't have it in my notes. Okay. Psalm 103, verse 17. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who what? Fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. From everlasting to everlasting. The Lord's love is with those. Not just anybody. With those who fear him. People today know nothing of the the experience that Isaiah had. When he was confronted with the sight of. Of the glory and majesty and holiness of God in the temple. When he cried out woe is me for I have unclean lips. For I am undone. And the lack of fear. The lack of of reverence for God. Usually manifests itself in the way a person lives. And church there are many Christians. Many Christians. Maybe even some here today. Maybe some watching online. Who need to recapture what it means to have a healthy life-transforming, life-controlling fear of God. The people's attitude toward God changed, number one. The second thought that we hear in this passage, Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 
15 is that the people's attitude towards God's servant changed. Haggai was the first prophet God raised up to minister to the people since their return from Babylon. After all those years of spiritual apathy, God determined to speak to his people with a view to challenge them about their spiritual condition and awakening them from their spiritual slumber. God had spoken to them by way of reproof in the realm of daily providence by causing their crops to fail through lack of rain and also through the resulting economic instability and hardship that came on from that. However... The people didn't seem to hear God's voice in these events. They didn't see it. They never drew a connection between their hard times and their sinful spiritual condition. So in order that the people would be in no doubt as to what God thought of their spiritual apathy and in order that they would be in no doubt as to what God required of them if they were to experience blessings once again, he raised up somebody who would be his spokesman to the people and sent him to them with a very clear message. The message he brought was straight to the point, hit them hard. When proclaimed, no one would have any doubt as to what God really meant he didn't beat about the bush he didn't leave people well I wonder exactly what he thought with that no after he said it they knew exactly what God was saying how did the people react to this message because you have an outsider coming in what you talking about me for you don't know nothing about me you don't know where I've been how can you judge me for what we're doing who are you to come in here and tell me how I'm living my life how did they react to the prophet how did they view this preacher did they regard him as sort of a um, just a religious person who is simply giving vent to his own personal opinion and whose ratings and ravings were being ignored did they do to him what everybody else before them had done did, did they speak out publicly against him did they point the hand at them and, and just rebuke him did they lay a hold of him and put him in jail what did they do verses 12 and 13 tell us they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord, what's it say, their God. Don't miss, I love the way that this is written. I love the, the words in it because you can't misread over, over this stuff. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to them, saying, I am with you. It is clear from these words that the people acknowledged two things about him. First, they acknowledged that in speaking to them, he was doing so in his capacity as the divinely appointed prophet. They recognized his divinely appointed office. He was the Lord's messenger. The Lord, their God, had sent him. Because let's be honest, sometimes it might be easier to hear rebuke from somebody on the outside than from somebody who knows every detail of your life. God knew exactly what the people needed. So he sent somebody there to speak to them this challenging message. Secondly, they recognized that in speaking to them, he was not expressing his own opinions and views on the spiritual state of the people and the spiritual need of that, of that hour. But rather, he was merely the human means through whom God was speaking to them. In other words... They recognize his message to be divinely inspired. 
the challenging message he brought to them was what God had to say. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They did not obey the voice of Haggai. They respected his position, knew he was from God, knew what he had to say was from God. So they respected and they obeyed. Let's not this morning confuse spiritual truth and earthly opinion. He did not come to them with an earthly opinion on the state of affairs of what they were going through. He came to them with a spiritual truth spoken from God because he knew, God knew that the people needed to change. You see, when the Holy Spirit begins to work in a person's heart, there's a stirring that takes place. These people were in a state of spiritual apathy. They didn't obey the voice of God. They didn't obey the voice of the Lord. They went what they wanted. God sent Haggai. And when God stirs your spirit, it makes you want to act upon it. And let me tell you what they did. They began to act upon the word. Listen, Paul said to his church, he said, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, okay, you heard from me. You accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believes. You see, when Paul and his missionaries came to the church, they preached the gospel to them. Paul was just an ordinary man, but he had been chosen to set apart. He was, he was to preach the gospel, and when he did, he knew that he was not communicating a mere human message, but rather he was the human instrument through which God was speaking to the people of that day. And the people came and understood it for what it was and repented of their ways. And when God began to stir their spirit, they began to act. The same thing right here. They recognized Haggai as the messenger of the Lord. And that being the case, they begin to act. And the rebuilding of the temple started again. What changed? The people's attitude towards God changed. The people's attitude towards God's servant changed. And number three, their attitude to God's word changed. Through Haggai, not only God not only challenged and reproved the people for their sin, he also called them to turn from their sin and apply themselves once again to the work that they had been neglecting for so long. Go into the mountain and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. So God was calling for a change in their existing attitude, a change that would be seen in their conduct. You, you used to be self-centered, worldly-minded people, ungrateful people, but now you are God-centered. You are spiritually minded in your outlook and thankful for all that I have done for you. How do I know this? Because it says in Haggai chapter 1, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Having heard what Haggai told them, they obeyed. They didn't, they didn't just feel sorry 
and bemoaned the fact that they had neglected God's work for so long. They said, you know what? Forget the past. The past is behind me. I'm not going to let the past dictate to me what I'm going to do next. But rather, I'm going to forget and lay behind me what's behind me and press ahead and do what I'm supposed to do. So they began and obeyed and righted the wrong, made the changes that were needed to be made in both their mind and their conduct, and they brought about God's will in the land. Notice that, the, uh, that when they obeyed, it was, it was universal and it was prompt. It was universal because everybody obeyed. We don't read of any exceptions. The Bible's very clear about detail. If people were against it, he would have said it. Nobody disregarded the message. They all obeyed. And let me tell you something else. It was prompt because it says 23 days after Haggai proclaimed the word of the Lord, the work on the temple began. And no doubt during those 23 days, days were spent preparing the site, getting the timber and so on. So that when everything was ready, they could begin the work. It was universal and it was prompt. Why? Because when your spirit gets stirred, you want to act immediately. And you know, church... Seth, you can come. I'm not going to take much longer. This third evidence, obedience to the word of God, is the most important, most telling evidence of all as to whether or not spiritual apathy is giving way to spiritual awakening. The person concerned not only recognizes the voice of God speaking to them through the scriptures, they obey the voice. They do what God called them to do. They forsake their sin and they made those changes in life that are necessary to bring their life into line with God's will. What's he telling us today? What's he speaking to you? What's the spiritual disciplines that we've had that maybe in the past couple months we've let kind of slide just a little bit? What are the things in our life that maybe represent to us the neglecting of God's work? I don't know what's in your life. I do know what's in mine. And we are called to make the necessary changes. Because we're told that when spiritual apathy sets in, we're told that when we have that mindset that the blessings of God can be withheld. And that in order for the blessings on these people to come again, they had to correct their wrong. And it took a prophet Haggai coming in there and telling them that the Lord is with you. So what is that that, that thing in your life, that the spiritual discipline in your life that we've let go? My prayer is that God stir your spirit. Because this world needs Jesus. And this world needs a church to preach Him. My my heart today is that, Lord, will you revive us once again? Will your spirit flow in me once again? Do it in me, Lord. Do it in me. Do it in me. Stir up my spirit.